Hello and welcome to The Journey Inward, your podcast BFF on the road home to yourself. I'm Christina, your host. Today we are finishing up episode three of our polyamory journey and today's the Q&A episode and I've always loved Q&A episodes on other people's podcasts so I'm really excited. I think it'll kind of morph into a bit of a storytelling session um, as most things do with me to be honest but yeah. I'm stoked. How is everyone? I've kind of had a crazy, a crazy week. Um, we did the first self-love workshop, which I have been like riding the high of since it happened. It was so beautiful. I'm also planning a trip to New York City and I've never seen New York City in the springtime. I am so stoked. I have a bunch of shoots planned. I'm going to model for some of them. Other people are modeling. It's very exciting. And yeah, I'm excited to jump in and chat today. This feels like we're just kind of sitting around, sitting around my living room with my colored lighting, chatting about our relationships and about, you know, the stuff that makes life truly worth living. Um, relationships to me have played a huge role in my growth as a human. And, you know, I actually want to read you guys this TikTok. And I realize how strange of a sentence that sounds like, but I found this TikTok and it's a poem and it's so beautiful. And I want to read it to you. It kind of encapsulates just how much our relationships can change us. And I think it sets the tone. I wasn't planning on reading this, but it just popped into my head and this is my podcast. So we do what we want. So this user wrote this poem and also was playing the harp while they had the text on the screen. And so for the full effect, I'm going to have us listen to the harp music as well while I read it to you. My first love was a gentle boy. He held me sweetly, even when I was insane. He made delicious dinners. We were both Geminis. He was my twin. We played beautiful music together. Our words often misunderstood each other, but we communicated through the most magical sounds. I still miss his soft embrace every blue moon. My second love came riding in on the wind and a tour bus. He had wings. He showed me that the wind moved through me too, and he traveled through my heart like a storm and left it in total disarray, never to be the same. He scattered anything that had been rooted. From then on, I craved the breeze beneath me and knew that I had wings too. My third love was me. I found her kissing the mirror. I see her vision and I would do anything to help her realize it. I've seen her being drugged to the gates of hell, but I know she is heaven in her heart. I would do anything for her. This user's username is la 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 l u v v y-o-u i'll link them i found their tiktok account they have genuinely no views like their videos get anywhere from 100 to 300 views um, but i was genuinely touched by their words and their music and their presence and i it was really late at night and i venmoed them 50 bucks because you know what guys when you send good energy out to people that deserve it it comes back to you. It really, really does. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And this TikTok, this poem encapsulated the feeling, the universal feeling of knowing that our relationships matter 
Our relationships are what walks us home to ourselves. And I honestly had a very similar experience to this TikTok user. Um, I also had a twin type love that changed me, moved me. We were each other's awakening, our queer awakening. We met when we were young, like 16. They were also a Gemini. <laughs> um, and they meant the world to me and I miss them still. And then I had another love who uprooted everything in me, left me changed. And after that experience, I found myself. I love the line where she says, I found myself kissing the mirror. Oh, polyamory has really led me home to myself. And I am excited to chat about your guys' questions and explore with you. This whole podcast is genuinely an exploration and it feels so fun. It feels like we have a little book club without the books. Um, I am going to recommend some polyamory books at the end of this. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into your questions. So someone asked, what label feels right for you? And I will give you, I almost did this the first episode. I almost like listed out all of the labels that I identify with, but it is genuinely a bit overwhelming because there's a lot of labels. Um, so I will share it with you um, because I feel like at this point we've built some trust and we've built some camaraderie. So I will share with you. Um, I identify as queer, non-binary, polyamorous. Um, I identify with kitchen table style polyamory. I don't think that's really like a term that I use to apply to myself, but it is something that feels applicable in this conversation. I identify as neurodivergent. I have bipolar and ADHD, and I'm also highly sensitive. Um, and healing through a PTSD diagnosis. Um, I often don't feel like I have PTSD anymore, but then certain situations pop up and I am reminded that it still lives in me. So those are my neurodivergencies. I also would consider myself to be a highly sensitive person. Um, and I would love to talk more about that. I think I'm going to do a whole podcast episode because I'm just realizing how I can't believe I didn't always know what being a highly sensitive person was. It is genuinely the soundtrack of my life. Like it, when I figured out what that was, it made me make a lot more sense. Um, so yeah, those are some terms that feel good that I hold close to me. Um, someone else asked different models of polyamory. And so they gave the example of like kitchen table, parallel, solo, thruple. And I want to talk a little bit about this. I know I briefly mentioned it, so I will go over it pretty quickly. But kitchen table style polyamory means that you share experiences with your partner's partners. You are around the kitchen table. Um, and then parallel polyamory is more in passing. You see them um, on the occasion, but you don't form relationships with your partner's partners. You keep that pretty separate. Um, solo is how I identify, which is basically saying that my relationship with myself is at the top of my priority list and that I take precedence 
um, and that I am following my own storyline truly that I am not attaching myself to anyone else's life and um, kind of planning my life around someone else that I am on my own quest as a human and looking for people who can support me in that and then throuple so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot to be said about throuples and group dynamics i have been in a few group dynamics and <sighs> once a therapist told me they were like three is a hard number and i don't think i really understood that until i experienced it three is a hard number and i think that for me at this stage of my life, it would have to be a very, very specific type of group in order for me to feel comfortable with something like that again. Because for me personally, just with the experiences that I've had, throuples have been really hard. And I honestly don't even really know what to say outside of that. It's just complicated. And I don't want to like... Um, share anyone else's story and so i can't really give you specific examples but i can tell you that jealousy becomes really hard when you're all connected in that way i think it's a little bit easier to manage jealousy when um you aren't intimate with your partner's partners um and for me i've never dated a partner's partner if that makes sense i've always had my the two situations i was in was i was dating two separate people and they started dating um and so i think that i might just have a knack for picking compatible people it didn't go the way i would have hoped either of these times i think what it comes down to is polyamory is difficult polyamory is an accelerated growth path polyamory is emotionally involved and to add another layer my speech impediment y'all that hasn't come out in forever but i'm gonna leave that in because wow shout out to the younger version of me when i was growing up i couldn't say s's r's or t's and i went to years of speech therapy and then i ended up doing like speech competitions and started to use my words to impact people's minds and it was just such a crazy experience and i'm gonna leave that in but yeah essentially i think that in both of these throuple situations we were just not seasoned enough in polyamory especially the people i was dating i think ultimately what it comes down to is that these people i was with they were all pretty new to polyamory and i think that it was just biting off a bit more than we could chew polyamory is an emotional lifestyle polyamory is an accelerated growth path and you learn a ton along the way i've been polyamorous for four years now and if i start dating someone who is fresh into polyamory i have conversations with those people where i acknowledge the power dynamic of me being more advanced and more experienced in polyamory because there's some things that you can only learn through experience and I learned that an advanced style of polyamory, like being in a throuple, that's a very complex dynamic between multiple people. Like that I would say is like level hard of polyamory. I would like to reserve that type of experience for people who have been polyamorous for a long time. 
Um, and that just wasn't the case. And this kind of leads into the next question I was asked, where someone asked, are all of your partners also polyamorous? Um, and the answer to that is yes, absolutely. I do not date monogamous people. I only date polyamorous people because genuinely it wouldn't be fair. It would not be fair for me to date someone who's monogamous and I don't want that. Um, I think that polyamory is a really, really important part of who I am and how I see the world. And dating is such an intimate experience that I would like to have this in common. I'm kind of to the point where I, as I date and get to know people, I am genuinely only interested in getting to know people who are already polyamorous at this point um, because I would like to be with someone who has done the work to dismantle toxic monogamy and that work just takes time. <laughs> that work just takes time. I was talking with someone and they were like, oops, I'm having monogamy hangover. And I was like, that's such a real thing, monogamy hangover. Like these, these ideas that stick around and are stubborn in our minds because we've been taught them ever since we were reading children's books, you know? So of course they're going to be stubborn. And like, as we learn to love in a new way, and as we learn to embrace change and flexibility and community in new ways, there's going to be hangovers from the last ways that we engaged in dating and in connection which for most of us was monogamous. I had many monogamous relationships before I decided to be polyamorous. And being polyamorous has really changed the way that I see relationships. And so I'm also looking for that type of mindset in someone that I choose to be so intimately connected with. A good example of why this is important is someone I dated a few years ago. They had never been in a relationship, which now at this point would be a deal breaker for me. Um, they'd never been in a relationship and they knew I was polyamorous and they took a couple weeks to think about it and they were like, you know what? I could do that. I could totally be polyamorous. Sure. And I entered into a relationship with this person and it was fine for a couple months and then shit really started to hit the fan. Tons of jealousy, tons of possessiveness. And ultimately this person just wasn't polyamorous and didn't have the experience in relationships to know that. And I think that they were really desperate to be loved um, because it's a human need. I don't blame them, uh, but they really wanted connection very badly. And I think that they were willing to uh, lie to themselves in order to get it. And so at this point, I'm not wanting anyone to be polyamorous for me. That's just not going to work. Uh, you have to be polyamorous for you. The next question someone asked, do you consider yourself to be a relationship anarchist? If so, what does that mean to you? So yes, I do. Um, what they're referring to is relationship anarchy versus relationship hierarchy. And essentially, anarchy means that I don't place any of my partners above each other. Everyone is on the same level of priority in my life. And I want to like also share that that doesn't necessarily mean that I spend the same amount of time with all the people that I'm dating or that I have the same kinds of intimacy. It's very different from relationship to relationship, 
but each of my relationships are important to me. And you can kind of compare it to like, okay, let's say there's a monogamous couple that has been together for years and they're building their life together and they're really important to each other. And then they decide one day that they want to open up the relationship. And so they open up the relationship and they have set rules and guidelines for each other about connection with others. Um, but they also have the commitment to each other that that relationship is their first priority. That would be relationship hierarchy. And I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I really love to let each connection be what it is and to see even my friendships as equally important as my romantic connections. I have a lot of really close friends that mean the world to me and are part of my community. And it's it's not like if I had plans with a friend and a partner messaged me and said, hey, can you cancel your plans? I really miss you. I, because of the way that I see my relationships as equally important, would likely not cancel my plans um, because I believe that my commitments matter. Essentially to me, relationship anarchy just means that all of my relationships are extremely important and I give what I can to all of them um, without any sort of tier of how much I can give. Someone else asked, what am I... I'm going to mess up this word. What amatonormative things have you left behind on your journey? That word is defined as a set of societal assumptions that everyone prospers with an exclusive romantic relationship. So they're asking, what have I left behind from that mindset as I've journeyed into polyamory? Which is a great question. I love this question and I think that there's a lot of answers. A few that immediately came to mind is I let the idea of the one simply die in my mind. I don't believe that there is the one. I think that there are many people that I will love and many people that will show me different things about myself. And I don't believe that I can be completed by someone. I don't believe that I need to be completed. I believe that I am complete. And because of that, I'm no longer looking for my other half. And I think it's taken a lot of pressure out of relationships because I don't need someone to be everything to me. Another thing that I've let go of on my journey is a lot of the codependency that I learned from monogamous relationships. And on the other side of the coin, I've also learned a lot about co-regulation. I've learned about how to safely get closer to other people without compromising who I am. And co-regulation for me is like using our connections to regulate together. A lot of this for me is physical touch. A lot of this is talking things through. And I let myself need the people in my life in a way that is really different from how I used to need people because I used to need people because I couldn't give to myself. And so I was always looking outward to try and find someone to, to meet my needs. Now I believe that I am in charge of meeting my needs and also I can accept help from those who have the bandwidth, who have healthy communication with me, and we can enter into spaces where we help each other, where we lift each other up, where we hold each other to our commitments for how we want to treat ourselves and support each other during hard times. And so I think it's interesting that like 
I've put down something and picked up the other side of it, put down needing people because I can't give to myself and picked up letting people help me because I do give to myself. And because I give to myself, that is what opens me up to truly letting people give to me. Another thing I've let go of is the idea that love is fleeting and finite. I think it can be really intimidating when someone that you love and care about really loves and cares about someone else in a romantic way. But what I've realized is that just because someone loves something, that doesn't mean that they love me less. It's not like we have a pie and we're cutting out pieces from it and there's only a certain amount of pieces. It's actually the exact opposite. I like to think of love as something that is flowing through each of us, through everything. It's all around us. It's in us. It's in the trees, the grass, the sky. It's everywhere. And we can tap into that frequency and share it with other people. And it can grow in us and grow in them and change each other. And that doesn't mean that if I love you, that means that I love other people less. If anything, I've noticed how when my partners have their cup filled up because they're being loved from many different angles, they have more to give me. We have more to share together. Two things that I've realized on this journey and picked up and carried with me is that one, my partner finding other people attractive and telling me is so sexy. (laughs) It's so desirable because it's a level of trust and comfort with each other that speaks volumes that you trust me to hold your desire for someone else with kindness. And I do. And I do. I'll check them out with you. I'll share in your joy. The second thing I've picked up is that I can still want things outside of the relationship that I'm in. I can even talk with my partner about what I'm missing in the connection and they can support me as I go out to find it. I think that a lot of codependency within monogamous culture is that you fill all my needs and it can be incredibly heartbreaking when your partner says you're not filling my needs because you subconsciously feel this weight on your shoulders that you have to fill all their needs. But when that weight is gone, we can talk about what I'm not getting from this relationship and you can support me in going and finding it, knowing that it makes me a happier person to come home to. Okay, moving on to our next question. Someone asked, is it true that the hardest part is scheduling? Um, Probably not. I wouldn't say that that's the hardest part, but it does get complicated and it can be hard. I think the most important part for me is just having really open communication and talking about the things that feel a bit uncomfortable, bringing them up, putting it out in the open, talking about it. If you are with someone who is your teammate and not your opponent, those conversations are incredibly helpful. The next question is about how I handle and navigate potential jealousy. And this is I thought about it. I thought about the process because jealousy comes up all the time. Um, Very normal emotion. And I've thought about what I typically do to move through that. And I have a few steps. Okay. The first one is just simply breathing. You have to be able to return your nervous system to a place where you can feel somewhat 
regulated and able to see things more clearly. So first, I'm going to just tend to myself. What do I need in this moment? How can I care for myself? Then I like to look beyond or behind my jealousy and investigate what is actually happening that's causing the jealousy because jealousy is a surface level emotion and there's always so much under under the water of the iceberg. You know, it's it's the tip of the iceberg truly. And so I like to ask myself questions like, what does this situation remind you of? Um, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid will happen? What is this reminding you of as far as how you're feeling? Are there any situations in the past that are coming up and asking to be acknowledged right now? After I understand why I'm feeling what I'm feeling or the deeper feeling of what I'm feeling, I try to remind myself that I'm human and that this feeling is an indicator that I care and that I'm invested. And then once I am able to, I try to return to the feeling of compersion. And this leads into the next question. Someone said, I would love to hear you talk about compersion. So compersion is the sympathetic joy for someone else's joy, even when it has nothing to do with you or doesn't benefit you. I thought it would be fun to share some of my moments of compersion throughout my romantic relationships. There is one that immediately comes to mind, the Gemini that I fell in love with when I was very young that I brought up earlier. We ended up being best friends for like three years. And I'm talking about like cooking together, working together, studying together, like sharing food, sharing beds, sharing like responsibility over our dogs. Like we didn't live together for the first three years, but we were so, so, so close. And I was intimately connected with her relationship that she had. Um, And you know, it's a long story, uh, but she was dating this guy and they'd been together for years and they made the decision that they wanted to get married. And at this time, I was still just her best friend. We ended up dating, um, but when she was getting married, I was still just labeled as like her best friend slash life partner. And I helped her plan that wedding way more than her husband did, um, which is pretty sad in its own way. Like, I think that he missed out on a lot of opportunities to show up for her, but I got to show up for her and like bought her wedding dress for her and helped her pick out flowers and helped her write her speeches and like really genuinely supported her. And on the day of her wedding, you know, she danced with her dad she danced with her husband and she danced with me. We did a dance together to our song. Um, And it was this feeling of immense joy participating in the relationship that she had with someone else and supporting her through it. And I remember feeling jealousy on the morning of her wedding and being unsure on how to identify that feeling because at that point I was still thoroughly in the space of like lying to myself about my feelings for her. And I remember like the morning of we're spending it together. We spent the night before together too. Um, I'm like helping her get ready. And I remember feeling this like tug of like, "Mm, man, this is so crazy. Like this is so crazy that she's getting married. And 
it was shortly after her wedding that she and her husband decided to open up their marriage and we dated for about a year and moved in together. Um, but she was such a special and is, I still hold, I haven't spoken to this person in two years and I still hold them close to me. I think of them often. And I think that compersion can kind of bleed into grief. It can be really hard when someone exits your life, especially in a painful way, which is definitely how we ended. It was heartbreaking. And the grief comes in waves, you know, and it like teaches you things and it communicates to you and it shows you who you are. And one of the things that I've experienced through the grief of losing this life partner, this like genuinely, I considered her to be family, um, losing her, I have had a lot of compersion for her. I don't know what's going on in her life now, but I hope she's happy. I hope she's happy. I hope she's taking care of herself. I hope she's healing. I hope she's well-loved. And I can still feel these feelings of joy for someone else's joy, even after they've hurt me, even after I don't know how they are anymore. I can still wish them well and hold that joy that I've cultivated for them as a human being as close to my heart as it will stay as time moves us further and further apart from each other. Another act of compersion in my life is watching the people I love meet new sides of themselves through other people. And I think that that's one of the really beautiful things that we do as human beings for each other. We wake each other up to sides of ourselves and we like stir things in each other and we also have different compatibilities with different people. Uh, someone I'm currently dating, they have a girlfriend and they love to go out dancing together and share drinks and go to clubs and have these going out experiences. And I'm so glad that that person has access to that because I don't go out very often. Um, I, Like I said, I'm highly sensitive. Crowds, noises, lights, strobes, they can all be very overwhelming for me. And so I like to joke that I go out quarterly, <laughs> once every four months. Um, and so I'm really glad that my people are in close connection with people that they can share those experiences with. And that just adds to my life. And I get to hear about their experiences and just share in their joy. Another thing that compersion has given me is noticing that my partners can be of comfort to each other. I'm thinking of one specific situation about a year ago where I was having a really hard conversation with my girlfriend at the time and we were both like just incredibly triggered and I think that we were kind of triggering for each other in general and we were having this conversation and my other partner at the time was downstairs um, and they were visiting and it was a really hard conversation and after the conversation was over we went downstairs and um talked with my other partner and my other partner was able to comfort my girlfriend in a way that like i wasn't able to because i was so triggered um by what she was saying to me and that was really beautiful in its own way that like 
because my other partner wasn't triggered, they were able to comfort my girlfriend because it the fight wasn't about them. You know, the fight was between the two of us. And so I couldn't give to my girlfriend in that moment, but my partner could give to my girlfriend. And that was comforting. The next question we got is, how do you process the judgment and misconceptions about polyamory from your family? And I want to like set the scene. By the time I'd come out as polyamorous, I had already really disappointed my family by coming out as queer and leaving the Mormon religion that I was raised in. And so at that point, I was already embarking on my own path and really dedicated to that and just wanting to be true to myself. And I think that I just really had to ground into the truth that this is my life. This is my life. I am the only one who's waking up and living this living this life every day. And I'm the only one that has to answer for it. And so I want to build a life that feels good to me. And as I walk down being polyamorous and that path, the more I realized how it fit and the more I realized how true it was to me. And as I realized those things, it just kind of became ridiculous to consider anything else for myself. I also think that dismantling my own shame around polyamory had a huge role in recovering from other people's shame because that's kind of how shame works. Like people can only shame us if the shame lives in us. And so if someone came up to me and they were like, Christina, you are horrible at playing the violin. I think you should never play again. It's an abomination. That wouldn't bother me because I don't play the violin and I have no I have no feelings about me being a good violinist, right? And so that doesn't bother me. But if someone came up to me and I was already feeling shame about being polyamorous and they were like, Christina, it's disgusting that you're polyamorous, you're going to hell or whatever they felt like saying, if I was already feeling shame about that, it would trigger my own shame. And I think that I really just need to dismantle the shame within myself. Um, and then it really just doesn't bother you as much anymore because you just understand that you're living a different life than them, that you want different things, that you're following your own bliss and so are they. Part of undoing that shame was being very loud about my polyamorous experience. I share about it on social media. I'm doing this podcast. I invite conversations. I openly speak about the people that I'm dating to my family. And I think that something that also helped was um, sharing my love with them when it is possible, letting them meet the people that I'm dating when it is possible, and just inviting them into my life and kind of normalizing it. Um, and this is honestly, this theme of like normalizing relationships is true across the board. Like I find when polyamorous dynamics include people that are unwilling to meet each other, like physically be introduced to each other. Um, if they're unwilling to meet each other, we can often do this thing where we like turn the other person into a monster in our head and we can like think horrible things about them because we haven't looked in their eyes and had a conversation with them and seen and felt how human they are. And so I believe in that with the people that I'm dating. I want them to meet each other. And I also want to introduce those people to my family when the time is right so that they can normalize these humans in my life. And um, instead of just making assumptions about what these relationships look like. 
Okay, and then the last question we had is a bit of a lengthier question. I will read it to you and we can go on this journey together. They said, what do you think is the difference slash line between being polyamorous and dismantling toxic monogamy? And then in parentheses, they said, what I mean by this is jealousy culture being taught that husbands own their wives, the underlying systems that says you belong to your partner, that you should never even feel attraction to someone besides your partner, etc. They said, I don't think I'm polyamorous necessarily because I don't have the desire to be with anyone but my partner, but I wouldn't be upset by someone kissing my partner, having a relationship with my partner, etc. Like, I feel very secure in our relationship, and I feel like any relationship they have outside of me and not something I ca I'd care to monitor or that I'd be jealous about. At the same time, while I'm not interested in pursuing any other romantic or sexual relationships, I feel limited by our culture's views of monogamous relationships. An example would be, I feel like I can't tell my friends when they look pretty, regardless of if it is a sexual or romantic and i feel like i'm told that i can't cuddle my friends that type of stuff it's an intriguing topic for me so that's the end of their question and i just want to start out by saying that is such a good question um i think that we can learn from polyamorous people and take those lessons into our monogamous dynamics um just the fact just the act of talking about your jealousy talking about your partner's interest in another human or in experiences that you can't offer them is an incredibly powerful way to fight toxically monogamous culture. And it's so true that monogamy bleeds into our friendships. It bleeds into what we are able to experience with the people that we love because of these either visible or invisible lines that we've set up with our partners or we literally haven't talked about, but there's just cultural lines that you're not supposed to cross. You're not supposed to cuddle your friends, for example. I think that that's an absolute shame. I love cuddling my friends and part of being polyamorous is letting people fit in my life where they fit. I was recently introduced to the concept of a queer platonic relationship. And I never had the words to describe what I experienced with some of my friends, but it's more than friendship, right? It's more than like someone that you meet up for coffee and chat about your life. It's people that I'm intimate with that were, you know, maybe grocery shopping together. Maybe I'm helping them take care of their kid. Maybe we are like being real emotional pillars of support for each other and, those types of roles are often unacceptable outside of the role of romantic love, which is such a, such a travesty. It's so upsetting. It really perpetuates this idea that we have to be highly individualistic in this society, and it separates us from each other, and it gives more power to systems that oppress us because we aren't relying on each other for support. And because of that, we only have one person, one person to rely on, which is our romantic partner. And then what happens when that relationship ends and you've been neglecting your friends because you have chosen your partner over them. And so you are disconnected from the people in your life and you just lost your one and only support system. It's devastating. It's devastating. And I think that's why I care so deeply about polyamory is because 
it's a conversation about community and culture. It's a conversation about how we're allowed to show up for each other and what roles we can play in each other's lives throughout time. And I think that our relationships are incredibly important. There's this like disheartening statistic that after the age of 25, most people lose one friend a year for the rest of their life and don't make many new ones. Like, let's just sit with that for a second that we are so lonely. Loneliness is an epidemic in our society. I pulled up some statistics because I don't think that enough people talk about this. Okay, guys, get this. So there was a scientist who followed 1,600 people out of a national health and retirement study over six years to see whether loneliness poses a risk to independence or mortality. It does. Feeling lonely results in a 60% increased risk of functional decline and a 45% greater risk of death. And so that's in our elderly community, but loneliness perpetuates our entire society and it only gets worse with age. Okay, here's some more mind-bending statistics. Loneliness increases blood pressure and cholesterol and activates one's physical and psychological stress response. More than 60% of lonely people are married. Loneliness distorts our perceptions of our relationships. Chronic loneliness significantly increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. And lastly, loneliness is as dangerous as cigarette smoking. Scientists have concluded that given all the drastic ways in which loneliness impacts our bodies, it represents as great a risk for our long-term health and longevity as smoking cigarettes. Indeed, studies have concluded that chronic loneliness can increase our risk of early death by 14%. And yet we're told that if you just have a partner, if you just have a monogamous partner, that you won't feel those things, which is such a high pressure to put on your partner. And it's also just not true. Like loneliness is due to the subjective depth of our connections and if you are struggling in your marriage or your relationship and you have no support systems you will be incredibly lonely we need human connection we need our friends we need our people and undoing toxic monogamy in our mind allows us to connect with people in a way that makes room for deeper intimacy even if there is no chance of sexual or romantic feelings Platonic intimacy is sacred. Platonic intimacy is life-saving. Platonic intimacy is so incredibly important. And what this user said about like, I would be okay with my partner kissing someone else or having a relationship with someone else, but I don't personally feel drawn to that. Like there are relationship forms that are built to support you in that like having an open relationship and letting your partner have the experiences outside of you, knowing that you guys have a safe and important and sacred bond. And that level of trust, if held with care, can only strengthen and deepen a relationship. All right, guys, that is all of our questions. I loved what you guys had to say and what you guys were curious about. I wanted to share some resources. Somebody asked about my favorite polyamorous shows. And honestly, I haven't found a lot of polyamorous content, but one that I did love was Tales of the City. 
an incredible show based in San Francisco that features a queer, very polyamorous community. They deal a lot with subjects of trans rights and queer relationships, an incredible show. I also wanted to share two book recommendations. Polysecure, it's a book about attachment styles within polyamory, incredibly, incredibly useful because most of our attachment um, knowledge and resources available to us are based on monogamous situations, which is just such a limiting model. Um, as far as attachment goes, there's a lot to feel within polyamorous dynamics. So I'm really glad that book exists. And then a very popular polyamorous book that you can check out is called The Ethical Slut. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I know I love talking to you guys. Please, please, please rate the show wherever you're listening to it. It means a ton. And I would be so happy to receive submissions for topics that you guys would like to hear about. I have several coming up that I'm excited about, but please voice your individuality and share with me what is important to you and I'll see if we have some shared ground and it lines up that I have something to share with you on those topics. As this episode comes to a close, I would like to invite you to reflect on or journal about or reach out to a friend and have a conversation about loneliness. Ask yourself questions like, how lonely am I? When do I feel the most lonely? When do I feel the most connected? I'm rooting for us. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for sharing this space with me.